0: hear this reading from the Gospel according to John. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be as one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. They may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, so that they may be one, as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those whom also you have loved and have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, The world does not know you, but I know you, and these that know you that have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known further, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is one of our sacred stories.
1: The title read, The Doctrine of the Holy Trinity. Once more, the theologian looked it over, the heading in its neat 12-point academic Times New Roman font, and once more, he sighed. About a dozen copies of the handout sat on his sturdy university desk, ready to be distributed the following morning to his Theology 101 students. Every year he taught this session, and every year, the same question gave him pause. Is this a waste of our time? He recalled for a moment the professors who had taught him the doctrine of the Trinity, mainly old men who seemed to care more about being right than fostering any kind of, fostering life in any kind of meaningful way. Knowing well the kind of world this way of thinking produced, He resolved early on in his career that his pursuits would be different. Gone were the days when he would be satisfied with pinning God down like a dead butterfly for analysis. Each time he turned on the news or walked through a group of his students protesting some injustice, he was reminded of the importance of his work. For he strongly believed in the practical application of theology and biblical studies to create a kinder and more just world. But the Trinity, was it actually helpful to that end? And as he held the paper, the theologian imagined, just for a moment, the first academic theologian in Christian history. He pictured an early church gathering, an eclectic group of folks sitting at the feet of some matriarch, listening to the story of Jesus. He pictured them listening to the story of God made flesh in Jesus, and God's spirit poured out on all humanity in Pentecost, and then imagined one pale Gentile hand interrupting the story. Excuse me, he might have said, but I was under the impression that God was one, as in, here, O oh Israel, God is one, but you're saying that Jesus was God too, right? And the Spirit as well, so doesn't that actually mean that there are three gods? No, Alexander, the storyteller, might have corrected with a subtle eye roll. There is only one God, the Father, who was made flesh in Christ and whose Spirit was poured out on Pentecost. Well, yeah, but... And then he imagined the theologian going on and on until no one had any time left to pass the peace or feed the poor. He knew this wasn't exactly a generous view of academic theology. But as this thought crossed his mind, he began to remember the actual history of the doctrine that he held in his hand. He recalled the ways that ancient councils had fought over it, declared one another heretics trying to work it out, He remembered the story he'd read of the Council of Nicaea where Arius was making an impassioned argument that Jesus was not actually God in the same way that God the Father was and how Nicholas of Myra, who would later be immortalized as Saint Nick or Santa Claus, actually stood up, crossed the room, and punched him in his heretical face. Well, one bloody nose and God knows how many other casualties later, the council would wind up settling on the creed. One God, three persons, the Father Almighty, and then Jesus Christ, who was begotten, not created, consubstantial with the Father, and then the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son. It was a standard of belief that they would use to decide who was in the club and who was out of the club. Out of the club, sometimes meaning being burned alive at the stake. And this thought settled things. He decided in that moment that the document in his hand was a symbol of the church at its very worst and would therefore indulge it no further. Crumpling it up, he threw it in the waste basket next to his desk, followed by the rest of the stack. There was too much work to be done to waste precious time on things like the Trinity, he decided. He'd mention it as a historical footnote, maybe a lesson on how not to do responsible theology and move along. He noticed the time on his antique wall clock. It was time to go home. So he gathered his things, he flicked off the light, and he left for the day. And the light remained off until much later that evening, when it was flicked on again by a maintenance worker, coming in to collect the trash. Listening to his music, he did the work uh, as he'd done the week before, and the week before that, replacing the bag and taking the full trash bag out to the dumpster. On route to the dumpster, however, one of the bags caught on a car bumper, tearing open and spilling papers across the parking lot. Earphones blaring, he took no notice as the papers were scattered to the wind. Well, the next day, the theologian was back at his desk, carrying on his work when there was a knock at his door. Opening it, he was surprised to see a nun in full habit standing in the hallway, May I help you, sister, he asked, curious. And she held up a wrinkled sheet of paper and pointed to his name near the top. My son, she started eagerly, eagerly. Are you the one who produced this inspired piece of poetry? Squinting his eyes, he looked above his name to the title of the document, The Doctrine of the Holy Trinity. And he wondered how on earth she'd gotten hold of it. Ma'am, he started, I don't know how you happened upon this, but it is most certainly not a poem. Oh, but surely it is, the nun replied, her enthusiasm unquenched. For I have never seen a poetic image that would so perfectly help me describe my relationship with God. Poetic image, the theologian inquired. What on earth do you mean? Well, the nun was glad to explain. Well, you see, she began. As I sit in prayer, I find God's spirit alive in me, a fire burning in my center, nurtured in the silence. I know this. I know this is the same spirit that was alive in Christ, the spirit of the Father, and so it is as though Christ himself is living in me, loving me, and moving me by his love. But, you see, I also know that this fire burns at the center of every sister and brother, that the spirit is poured out on each of us in our wonderful diversity. And as a result, each of us functions as a unique member of the body of Christ, as Saint Paul taught. One a hand doing one kind of work, another a mouth doing a different work. Therefore, if we together constitute the body of Christ, then we are all in Christ, just as Christ is in us. Isn't that beautifully mutual? It is as Christ prayed to the Father in the Holy Gospel, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. My son, she continued, what is this but what you call the doctrine of the Holy Trinity? Your poem so wonderfully describes our dance with the divine, the manyness, and yet the oneness. I only came to say thank you for this art you've created. And then, to the theologian's surprise, she took his face in her hands, kissed him on both cheeks, and left. He closed his door, considering the strangeness of that encounter. He had only just reached his desk again when there was another knock at the door. The theologian thought perhaps it was the nun having forgotten something, but was surprised again to see a stocky man he recognized as the chair of the physics department across campus. Their worlds rarely overlapped. Doctor, the theologian nodded, what might I do for you? Doctor, the physicist began, I was not aware that you had any background in the physical sciences. The theologian was again confused. I'm afraid I don't know what you mean, he said. In answer, the physicist held up a crumpled sheet of paper and again the theologian recognized his name under the heading The Doctrine of the Holy Trinity. My good man, the physicist continued. This is an enlightened bit of science. At first, I judged it an irrelevant piece of metaphysical speculation. But as I read, I saw your true intention to describe the nature of reality as we are now understanding it, and what a spot on job you have done. (laughs) The nature of reality, the theologian asked. But of course, said the physicist. Your document reflects the unfolding truth, as we understand it, that the universe does not exist as a collection of individual objects, as we once thought, but as a web of interdependent reality. This pattern you describe in your theological language is indeed the pattern of the entire universe. The atom, for instance, may consist of electron, protons, and neutrons. But we now accept that the power of an atom exists not in these three individual elements, but in the one relationship between them. Likewise, consider a human being. A human consists of trillions of cells and many organs, but a human is only of consequence because of the relationship between the cells, the organs, and so on. Likewise, again, one might consider this from a sociological perspective. In the case of you and I standing here, the significance is neither on you or I as individuals as much as the space and energy between us. We only thought we were autonomous individuals. We're finding this to be true of the smallest quantum particles as well as the largest planets and galaxies. The universe is in its very nature, relationship. And in this doctrine of the Holy Trinity, you similarly illustrate God as existing only in relationship, congruent with the rest of reality. Reality, the universe, God, is relationship. Well done, sir. I never thought I might see the day when theology and science might be so mutually illuminating. It was my good fortune to happen upon this, and I came to say a thank you. And with that, he gave him a firm handshake and left to tend to other business. The theologian closed his door and once more returned to his desk, wondering if he'd ever had a comparably bizarre day since he began teaching. But then, for the third time, there was a knock at his door. He opened the door, this time meeting the pastor of a local mainline congregation. Reverend, he greeted, how may I help you? And then she, too, like the others before, produced a crumpled copy of the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. Oh, for heaven's sake, he said. Friend, she began, unfazed. I came in search of the wordsmith who composed this great story. Story, he questioned. But reverend, you must know this is a work of systematic theology. Indeed, it is, she agreed. But what is theology but shorthand for the way we tell the story? He thought about this for a moment. Friends, the pastor continued, I am the pastor to a congregation that believes in God. And by that, I mean they believe in a supreme being in heaven who created all things that set the world into motion and is still coming in every now and then when a miracle needs to be performed. Saving a life, winning a football game, that sort of thing. (laughs) This God, though, is largely banished into some remote stratosphere a bearded white man sitting on a cloud. And as a result, there are a host of more immediate gods glad for the attention. The gods of money, power, supremacy, you know them, agents of the most well-disguised idolatry. Yes, said the theologian, knowing well the theological path that would enable one to arrive at this point. But I hardly see your story, she interrupted, emphasizing the paper in her hand does not allow for such a God. The God in your story is one who moves into the mess of things, that comes into the dirt and the sweat, that works to love the world into newness, no matter the cost. Your story is one of a God that pours a spirit of love out on humans like you and I in the everyday. One where we become walking temples in which the God of the universe dwells and moves. It is one in which God exists in relationship, not in individualistic isolation. And through it all, the God of your story remains mystery beyond our ability to grasp, to fully understand, or to remake in our own image. I just came to say thank you for a story that reminds me of the sort of God that called me to this work to begin with. She handed him back his paper. Here, she said. I believe this belongs to you. And with a smile of gratitude, she went on her way. The theologian closed his door, but this time did not immediately make his way back to his desk. Instead, he stood. He took his time near the door, re-examining the document with renewed interest. The doctrine of the Holy Trinity, he read again. The words carrying more life than they had yesterday evening. So returning to his desk, he took up his pen and began to write on an addendum to the document. The Trinity, he wrote, is imperfect. It is wrought with shortcomings, and like all doctrine is subject to become a vehicle to the worst of human vice. However, when read as poetry rather than dogma, as observation rather than speculation, and as story rather than doctrine. The Trinity does indeed open windows through which we may be able to more fully see and approach the God of Jesus, and therefore more fully see and approach ourselves and our neighbors as human beings. In all cases, may we use the doctrine of the Holy Trinity first and foremost to illuminate the sacred story and equip us to love the world as God does. And then satisfied, he checked over his work and started towards the copier. Perhaps he decided it would be worth a class conversation after all.